welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. We are continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And last month, we finished our time in the Beatitudes. So we were in Matthew chapter 5. We ended there as we worked through Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And we were working through in that episode about being persecuted for righteousness sake. We talked about how there's conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, and that the world will be in opposition to those in Christ, and those in Christ will be persecuted. There isn't much tolerance in the world for those who profess Christ and live out their lives as Jesus has called us to in the Beatitudes. Again, those who are poor in spirit, mourn over their sin, are meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, seeking purity in heart, they will be different from the world. And those in the world, those that are void of Christ, enemies of the cross, they may see them as a threat. So we know what the characteristics of those in the kingdom are, but how do we live that out in our day-to-day lives? This is the next part of our time in the sermon, and we start with two very common pictures that we're all familiar with from everyday life. No matter your location in the world, you know what salt and light are. We are to be salt and we are to be light, or better to state it as the scripture states it, We are salt and we are light. Sinclair Ferguson said, What salt and light were to life in first century Palestine, Christians are to the society in which they live. So we're going to take these one at a time. So today, we're just going to work through Matthew 5, 13. And let me read that to you again. I'm reading from the ESV. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth. Salt here is the Greek word halos, and it is speaking of natural salt, which purifies, cleanses, preserves from corruption. Its literal sense of seasoning salt is found in Matthew 5.13, Mark 9.50, and Luke 14.34. And figuratively, salt appears in conjunction with believers' characters concerning their speech. And think they're Colossians 4.6. We're gonna, that's going to come into play a little later here. And then earth is the Greek word gay. It's spelled G-H-A-Y. And it's used instead of world as a metaphor for the people of the world. So this I titled this section as I was putting this together, Decaying World. So we have a mission in this world as believers, just as the disciples of Jesus did sitting on that side of the mountain that we're hearing him preach. We are the salt of the earth. Jesus wasn't just speaking to those in first century Palestine, but those few men those weak and sinful men like we are, they did take the gospel and spread it throughout the earth. And it continues to spread through the disciples of Christ today. And if you're in Christ, that's you, my friend. And that's me, my friend. We are the salt of the earth. So what effect does salt have on a decaying world? 
Those of you who are canners or food preservers, you know the effect salt has in preserving food. Before refrigeration, the only way to preserve food was to use salt. They either salted it well or soaked it in a salt solution. One pioneer missionary described it. He said, this was absolutely imperative. Under the high temperatures and hot weather of the region, decay and decomposition of meat was astonishingly rapid. We had no winter weather or cool frosty nights to chill the flesh. Besides this, the swarms of ubiquitous flies soon hovered over the butchered carcasses. The only way to prevent them from ruining the meat was to soak the slabs of meat in a strong solution of salt. And the missionary, David Livingston, died in Africa, and they wanted to bring his body back to be buried at Westminster Abbey in England. And the only way to do this was to salt his body down before shipping it home. So we need this understanding in our minds, and we need this picture of salt as a preservative, so we get a good understanding of Jesus' words here. The verse in Matthew 5.13 is coming off the text that we worked through last month on persecution. And Sinclair Ferguson states about that. He says, like salt, Christians may seem small and insignificant, powerless in a power-mad society, yet they have the ability to influence every segment of it and to permeate the whole. Salt is cheap, its value is minimal, but salt has unusual properties that far exceed its value. So it is with the members of God's kingdom. Like salt, there will be times when their true usefulness will become very clear. End quote there. So friend, the world has been decaying since the fall. It's not getting better. Things may look good on the outside, but inside it is rotting away. Sin and evil are everywhere, and they are inside the heart of man. When society is void of the gospel, it's going to suffer moral decay. When Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth, first, we need to note clearly that he is making a statement of fact. The mood of the verb here is the in, is indicative. It's not an imperative or a command. It's saying we are the salt of the earth. Keep that in mind, in your mind, as we work through this. And every time from now on, when you read that verse, okay, this is who we are as God's children and kingdom people. We are salt. One way we are salt is by just being kingdom people around a lost world. I didn't come to faith in Christ until later in life. So I do remember what it was like to be around people who were believers. I tended to watch my language and comments or jokes It seemed my behavior cleaned up a bit just being in their presence, and it wasn't because they were acting self-righteously or outwardly condemning me, but it just seemed inappropriate around them to do and say certain things that I could easily do around my friends who were not Christians. So what do our lives bring about when we're in the presence of those who don't know Christ? Are we salt? The hope is our lives are lived out so beautifully to those around us that it brings about the best from others. The hope of being a salty Christian, though, it's not just to make people take it up a step in their moral behavior or to just behave when they're around us, but salt also adds flavor and zest to what it touches. And the hope is our lives will add zest to those we come in contact with. This is kind of a sad quote, but Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not acted and looked so much like undertakers. 
Okay, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go around looking like an undertaker. No offense to undertakers out there. I didn't mean that. Okay. So when we, just just a picture there. And actually, when I think of Undertaker, I think of old Western movies for some reason. I don't know why that comes to my mind, but but it does. All right. I'm, on a, I'm off track here, so I'm sorry. So when we came to faith in Christ, that was truly the first time that we became fully alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But as the Lord revealed our sinfulness and regenerated our hearts, causing us to be born again, we are now, for the first time, spiritually alive. We are living as we were meant to, in communion and at peace with God. Our lives are not dull and boring, but alive. Martin Luther said, The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So we too, my friend, we should be the best wives and mothers and friends and homemakers and neighbors and employees. Really, we should give everything our all and our best. We should be the hardest workers at whatever we do. When people see us, they should know there's something different about us. We do our work as unto the Lord. Salt makes us thirsty, just as Jesus made people thirsty for God. People like Nicodemus, Peter, and Mary Magdalene. We too, as we are living as salt in a world that is thirsty for living water, our life should be impacting them for Jesus, pointing them to the one who can truly quench their thirst. Our Kent Hughes stated, even a little salt makes itself known. When we sit down for dinner, all it takes is one little bite to know whether the food has been salted or not. Just a pinch of salt goes a long way. William, he's, this is, I'm continuing our Kent Hughes, his quote here. He's, um, we're going to talk a little bit about William Wilberforce. So William Wilberforce, the man who almost single-handedly brought about the slavery emancipation bill in England was living proof of this. He was dwarfed by disease. He did not appear to be a person who would accomplish anything. And somebody, by the, and I should have looked this up and I didn't, but he states, however, Boswell wrote of him. And it's probably like somebody really famous that I should know, and I'm clueless, so I apologize. Y'all out there are going, really? She doesn't know who Boswell is? I don't, but I will look it up. And maybe maybe I'll remember that I did remember, but mm, probably not. So, But Boswell wrote of William Wilberforce after listening to one of his speeches. He said, I saw a shrimp mount the table. But as I listened, he grew and grew until the shrimp became a whale. Tiny elfish mishappen. He, speaking about William Wilberforce, he was salt to British society, not only bringing preservation, but also enticement to Christ by his beautiful life. A little salt will make its presence felt. How beautiful is the life of a salty believer, bringing preservation to a decaying world as a living reproof to sin, an enticement to Christ, one who brings spice and flavor to life, one who makes others thirsty for Christ and life in heaven. End quote there from R. Ken Hughes. And I want to share one more story here from John MacArthur. And this was from his sermon on the salt of the earth. In this particular passage, he was telling the story of Woodrow Wilson. I know who that is, okay. Being in a barber shop one time. He said, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, which means intending to teach, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, 
I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D. L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect at that his visit had brought upon the barber shop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts, and I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. End quote there. Okay, but for salt, friends, to be effective, it needs to come out of the salt shaker, right? There was a book that I read many years ago, and it popped up in my memory as I was working through this text. It was by Rebecca Pepper called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Evangelism as a Way of Life. And it was a reminder to me that evangelism should be the natural flow out of our lives as believers. We need to share the gospel with those we come in contact with and with those we care about. We must be rubbed into the decaying world without becoming like the decaying world, but becoming a preservative to it. As salt in a dead and decaying world, our lives should bring about the hope and life and solution to those who are thirsty for living water. We have true hope to share with them, true living hope, Jesus. And Jesus is a living hope. So our speech should be seasoned with salt. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And we get a further explanation of what that should look like in the parallel passage in Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our speech is powerful, and it can do much harm, but it can do much good. Sinclair Ferguson states about our speech, he said, speech is like salt, too little, and we do not taste the flavor of the food, too much, and we're left with the unpleasant taste of the salt. Like salt, our lives and our speech are to bring out the, quote, flavor of Jesus Christ. Too much of ourselves, too much of our talk will likewise leave an unpleasant taste. Be like Christ then, lest others are not able to tell the difference between the salt and the meat, between the poverty of our witness and the goodness of the Lord Jesus. They are invited to taste. Think of that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. That's a great verse that just came to mind there. So as John Stott points out in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, and when society goes bad, We Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question he continues, he says, to ask is, where is the salt? End quote. So as we work through the second part of that verse, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So R. Kent Hughes states on being desalted. He said, is there any hope for us if we've become desalted? The answer is no, not in ourselves anyway. However, Jesus extends the metaphor into the supernatural. And here we must say that the answer is yes, Jesus is not saying that if a Christian loses his pungency, he cannot get it back, even by going to the source from which it came. Nothing but our own sin can keep us from being resalted. 
He states, I once met a man who in his 60s was re-salted. He told me about how his life had become bland and insipid, and then he was confronted again with the necessity of a vital life for Jesus Christ and committed his life to him. For the next 10 years of his life, he was incredibly salty in the world. The effect of his life is literally known by thousands. So one can be re-salted. Didn't state who that man is, but I was a little curious about that. Just one commentator said, you are either being corrupted by the world or you are salting it. So Jesus's declaration of the state of believers, it leaves no room for a middle ground. Sinclair Ferguson said, seasoning society is not a matter of being Scrooge-like personalities whose presence brings a, a pall of depression and whose entrance marks the exit of joy. On the contrary, the presence of God's people should increase the flavor of life in many different ways. He says, after all, we come to our friends, neighbors, coworkers, or fellow students as those who have been and still are in the presence of Jesus Christ who has given us abundant life. Think there, John 10, 10. Everything about us should express the attractiveness as well as the holiness of our Lord. So I think of the part of the verse where it said, lost its taste. Think about food without salt. It's really bland, right? Salt gives so much flavor and it can just bring a simple dish to life. I think of simple things like eggs or popcorn, how awful it would be to not eat those things with salt. And our lives as Christians are to be what salt is to food. We should give flavor to life. So often Christians can have the opposite effect. The world may see us as taking the flavor out of life. Even after Constantine, I'm going back a little bit here, even after he made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire, there came to the throne another emperor called Julian, and he wished to put the clock back and to bring back the old gods because his complaint was, he said, have you looked at these Christians closely? Hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted all, they brood their lives away, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they do not desire it. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die, end quote. Robert Louis Stevenson once entered in his diary as if he was recording an extraordinary phenomenon here. He said, I've been to church today and I'm not depressed. Hmm. So our lives as believers, friend, it shouldn't make others feel in our presence like they're at a funeral, but they should exude our life should be exuding joy, even in the midst of trials and hard circumstances. We should be living lives of giving thanks to the Lord in all things. We forget too often that we are sojourners and exiles in this world and citizens of a heavenly kingdom. When, when we don't live our lives as children of the king, we become desalted and worthless, thrown out and trampled. A desalted Christian or church is one that's been deluded by the ways of the world there's no difference then between their life and the life of the unbelievers around them. So are we, questions to think about ourselves there, are we living out the hope that is within us? Are we letting our light shine before others so that they may see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who is in heaven? One commentator put it, if we're not salting the world, the world is making us rot. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying for us to be Christ-like, to a lost world. He's not praying for us to be taken out of the world, but to be holy witnesses to it. John 17, 15 through 19 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So how are we to do this? So Jesus tells us there in John four, uh, John chapter 14, verse 14, and then verse 17. Let me read John 17, 14. He states, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in, your tr- in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus, he's given us his word. His word is truth, God's word, the Bible, and it sanctifies. And we right now are working through this part of his word of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the same word he gave the disciples, right? It began with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 for us here. What we're working through here, I'm just kind of referring to. But we obviously, the whole Bible I'm talking about here. But And what does the, the doctor tells us about this text that we're working through, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? What, is, what do I remind us? It's how the Christian was meant to live. So the word of God makes us salt to a lost world. It keeps us faithful in our service to the Lord. And as we open the word, as we open the Bible and obey what it says, our lives will radiate the saving power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Kent Hughes reminds us, we are salt and he wants us to cultivate our saltiness by constantly communing with him and being constantly filled with the spirit. Then he wants us to get out of the salt shaker into the world, rubbed into the rotting wounds of the world. And he wants us to remember that though we are not much, a little salt goes a long way. I love that there and quote there. And one more thought as I'm kind of closing down here from James Montgomery Boyce. He said, and this is really good. I'll put these in the show notes. So again, don't always feel you. And now that I'm at the end and I tell you this, but I'll put these quotes in the show notes. I had a lot of them this time. There was just so many good quotes this time. So James Montgomery Boyce said from his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, God uses the small things and the small people. God uses you and me that he might do his work in the world. As a matter of fact, the smaller you can become, the more effective his work in you will be. Do you know what we are to be? We are to be picture frames within which Jesus Christ is to be seen. God is not interested in its being a gold frame or a beautifully carved frame. He is just interested in its being an empty frame because he knows that when you come to him with that, he can put Christ there. And when people look at you, they will see Jesus. As end quote there. And as my husband reminds us so often in our study in First Peter in our Sunday school class at church, we are to be billboards for Jesus, right? I want to close today with the words of the Apostle Paul from First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-six to thirty-one. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boasts in the Lord. And I pray we do that always because, my friend, Jesus is truly enough always. So thankful for your time today. And the full show notes are over at my home on the web, over at thankfulhomemaker.com. So uh, the scripture references and the quotes and anything I mentioned, I'll link there always. If you can't find something and I mentioned it and it's not in the show notes, it's because I forgot. And if you can't find it, um, definitely shoot me a message. So this whole series is linked under the Christian Living tab on my main menu. So you can find all the episodes in this series in one spot. And my resource this week is to go take a listen to my dear sisters in Christ over at the Women's Hope Podcast. They are one of my favorites, and I so love and appreciate Kimberly and Shelby. And they're currently working through a series on Titus 2. They're also my partners in the Bar Network, Biblical and Reform Network. A lot of great podcasts there, so check that out. I'll link to that too. But I had the sweetest blessing to be with them on one of their recent episodes to discuss what it means to be keepers of our homes. So I'll link to their podcast series on Titus 2 they're doing, and I'll link to that episode on keepers of our homes in the show notes. So I am so grateful for you, my friend, and I pray you have a very blessed week. 